Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plans. Have you ever had to prep a sermon and you just looked at your bookshelf and you didn't have enough of what you needed? Well, you don't have to do that. Go to Logos.com. Logos Bible Software has everything that you need at pretty much at your fingertips because you're literally typing stuff in and with the click of a mouse button, you can open the entire C.H. Spurgeon Library. You can look up original languages, word studies. I mean, this thing is like the Lollapalooza of church planning information. You can have a little mini concert in your sermon prep right there. All the greats kind of gathered around and picking their brains and putting them into your sermon. And you want to check out LogosBibleSoftware.com. They'll actually make you look smarter than you actually are. Hey, Church Planner, welcome back to Hardcore Church Planning. This is your host, Peyton Jones, and my guest today is Jonathan Brooks, also known as Pastor Jay, and he is the senior pastor of Canaan Community Church in the south side of Chicago, Inglewood neighborhood, represent. And what we're going to talk to him about today is his book, Church Forsaken, Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods. So um, anyways, I'm hearing strains rattling around back there. Is that you, Pastor Jay? Yeah, it's my rabbit drinking water. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, I got to say, I've been doing this for six years. <laughs> that is a first for me. The rabbit drinking like, water in the background. And, and I, I warned you before we began that we don't take things too seriously. Any man that won't let his rabbit get water while I'm interviewing him is a guy I don't want to talk to. <laughs> So I was like, really, Bailey? Right when it's time? <laughs> I'm like, he either has kids and yes. they're, they're playing Legos. <laughs> now, a rabbit would never have been my guest, but I'm telling you, this is hardcore church planning. We keep it hardcore here. <laughs> and uh, church planners know. They're like, yeah, yeah, dude, dude's rabbit. We get it. You know, this is this is the church planner's life, man. Nothing polished here. My so, daughter's rabbits. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, appreciate right it. On. Yeah, <laughs> well, man, I am really excited to get into your book, um, "Church Forsaken: Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods." That is a loaded title. Tell me about it. Yeah, appreciate you uh, for having me on. So, "Church Forsaken." Um, it comes from a quote that I heard actually said by um, the, at the times, the director of Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Um, And what he said was, there are no God-forsaken places, just church-forsaken. And the premise was he had traveled all over the world and seen, you know, some of the most object poverty and uh, and neglect that he'd ever seen in his life, but um, realized that God was in all of these places doing amazing things. The spirit of God was already thriving and moving, but was often absent was the people of God stepping in to be a part of the transformation and work. And so 
Um, I took that narrative and that quote, and I wanted to really portray that in the neighborhoods right here in our own countries, in our cities, in our rural places right around us that we often neglect um, places that we drive through but never drive to. And uh, the premise is to talk about how the church can be present and partnering and really working for the communal flourishing of the geographic location in which they find themselves. Uh, not just having the church services on Sundays and maybe a midweek service on Wednesdays, but really becoming the fabric of a being a part of the fabric of a community for the purpose of seeing community flourishing. That's good, man. That's good. You know, it's funny because um, years ago, so this is this takes me back a bit in my church planning journey. I got before I'd ever church plan, I got a group together of people who. I thought might be interested in kind of, you know, enacting change. It was in Wales, UK, it's a very dark nation. 1.6% of the population goes to church. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of poverty, man, because you had like coal mining towns, steel working towns, all the industry yes. shut down. When you tell people that there was as much as 60 to 70% employment, people can't fathom that here. Right. Like, no way. Right. And but when you go from, you know, a, a steel, you know, basically a blue collar nation um, that hasn't caught up yet. I mean, things are changing now. Internet has definitely changed things. But when I was there, it was pretty poor. And, um, mm. and, and we said, hey, let's go plant. And one of the guys who ended up co-founding the network with me, he said, hey, man, all I know in, in, in this type, it was the valley. That's where the coal mining was. He said, all I can say is if we do it and we don't go to the coal mining valleys, we're in sin. Like that's mm. just that's just wrong, mm. and you know. So that that was my very early thing with church planning, and I'll never forget coming across that passage in Galatians, where Paul says, "I went and talked to the the apostles." He smack talks a bit. Let's let's be fair. He goes, "Yeah, I met those guys. They didn't add much to me." And then he goes on and says, "But they laid their hands on me. They sent me on my way, mm -hmm. saying to me only this: Do not forget the poor." That's right. The very thing right. I was eager to do. And so I've got this kind of like fighting thing going on where I always tell people, you go where the money is. You don't go where the need is. Right. Mm. Oh, upwardly mobile. Oh, this neighborhood's being built up. Oh, you know, it's upwardly mobile families. Oh, the town's. Ex yeah, because people are, you know, rich enough to buy new homes there. Those aren't the places we need to go. That's right. That's right. And I like I like the fact that you're narrating that there there are other factors. It's not just, oh, that's a poor neighborhood or those are poor people, that there has been like actual systems like the you talk about the uh, the fact that our country hasn't hadn't caught up yet. Like like we were still a blue collar nation in, in a quickly white collar forming country and world global globally, yeah. you know, and so. Uh, there, you know, I, I call that's where I get this term neglected from. While I narrated more about, you know, urban neighborhoods because that's where I live, yeah. it's true about wherever you are. When you see pockets of poverty and violence and neglect, like it's often institutional and systemic. Like there were there were decisions made right. that led to the makeup and demographic of a place and yep. people. And so I wanted to make sure that when I narrated this and talked about it, um, especially since I narrated with the uh, exile uh, motif in Jeremiah 29, that I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying like, oh, it's the fault of the people. I wanted to say that there are decisions that people make, but also systems and structures that are outside of people's control mm. that cause things to happen. And that's why I use the term neglected neighborhoods. 
That's good, man. I love that. I love that. So, um, what what are some of the the things that you've seen? Because you the subtitle says practicing presence mm-hmm. in neglected neighborhoods. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, what I wanted to to make sure that I uh, kind of focused on was the fact that I think there is no shortage of like church congregations and new church plants. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that we need more churches. What I mean is, is that the churches that are presently located or already planted in neighborhoods are not working together with the community for communal flourishing. So that's why I use the word of practicing presence. You can be present in a community, but it does not mean you're present with a community. Yeah. And that's the challenge. The challenge mm. is how do we stop doing for or thinking that we're the saviors and helpers yep. and begin to be with our neighborhoods? That means changing some of the way we exist in communities. And that right. means changing our practices when we're present in a community. You know, it's so funny, man, because when, when I planted my last church, it was called Refuge Long Beach, Inner City. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I will say this. Um, many people claim to be planting in Long Beach. It's, it's not true. Mm. When you actually get in Long Beach, you're talking about things like places like Lakewood, places outside some of the more suburb areas of Long Beach. They're not in Long Beach. They're not in the right. city. They're not, they're right. not in Long Beach. Like you, you were very saying you're like, I'm in Inglewood, right? Like right. you wanted right. me to know, like, this is where I'm at. <laughs> like we were downtown. If I said to somebody, we're on 7th and Cherry, they'd be like, oh, dude, that's the heart of Long Beach right there. Right. So, right. so, and you wear that with a badge of pride to a certain degree because you're like, Look, I'm going where the need is like that. Yes. Is, and, and I love that you mentioned there, you know, like not doing for, but doing with. Because mm-hmm. when we first went there, you know, you, you've seen me. I'm, I'm this bald-headed white guy. <laughs> and uh, we went into a neighborhood that was 50% African-American, uh, 30% Hispanic, and about 20, you know, percent everything else, you know, Asian, white, whatever. So we, we go into this neighborhood and... At first, we're in a, in a park. Then we move into a school. And we talked to the principal and we said, hey, she said, well, look, this is the poorest school in the district. Um, we're the only one that serves breakfast. Our kids eat once a day. So we need you guys. If you were asking us what we could do, don't give us backpacks. Don't do all that. Mm-hmm. What we need you to do is could you serve breakfast like on Sunday? And because we, you know, those kids could come here, their families could come here. And almost right away, there was just something, and I, I got to put it down to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. where something kicked in all first century, like, we're not feeding poor people here. That's not what we're doing. We're eating together as a community. Yes. And yes. people would come in and they'd be like, oh, man, that's so cool. You guys feed poor people. And I'd be like, uh-uh. Like, that language yes. is super important because otherwise you end up being paternalistic. Hey, Couple white people coming in to feed people uh, in the inner city. That's not right. That's right. That's so right. We were like, no, right. we're here. We're family. Everybody's got to eat. I got to eat. You got to eat. We're eating together. And that became kind of like what the church did. And then we're like, hey, hey, you know, because we're usually too stupid to figure stuff out. We're like, hey, that's what the early church did. What do you know? <laughs> all these different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from all different walks of life, all different occupations, all different, you know, you name it, coming together around Christ, around that communion table. And that's that became special for us, man. Because everybody's I mean, a debtor. <laughs> Everybody's needy then. 
I mean, that is a, a main motif of the book is I have a chapter literally called No More Outreach. Mm. And what I'm challenging churches to realize is the exact thing you just said, that when we go from doing for to being with, what that means is there is no more us and them. We're doing for those poor people or helping those, those folks out. We even have to change our evangelistic language, right, where we start calling people who are not members of our church the unchurched or the lost or like, no, they're our neighbors. They're our friends, right? They they don't have to share our faith beliefs in order to have value. That's not what gives them value. They're valuable because they're created in the image of God and have the name and power and authority. And so we don't do outreach. Like we don't do outreach events. We just live in community. So anything that happens in our community, we do with. When we eat, we eat with. When we have service, we serve with. When we uh, are advocating for, for things to change on a systemic level, we're advocating with, not for. And which means that my family is just as susceptible to whatever is going on as anybody else. So at Thanksgiving, we don't give out turkeys. We sit down together and all eat together and and supply one another's needs. It's a totally different way of understanding uh, what it means to be the church. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you a new uh, gives the community a new understanding of who the church is. They are just a part of the community. That's that's amazing. Let me ask you this. Um, so, Pastor Jay, you start off your 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 pastoring, you know, Canyon community in Chicago. Did you start out this way, or was there a journey <laughs> for you? Yeah, there's always a journey, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why I'm asking the question. See, I, I cloak it cleverly because I'm like, hey, it's what I do. But you, you know, I know. Oh, it's a journey. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, um, and much like probably like folks in Appalachia and anywhere else, uh, when you grow up in neighborhoods like these, um, you know, and I'm from Inglewood. I mean, I was born and raised in the same neighborhood. The church I pastor is full of people I grew up with and helped raise me. Right? This is not me coming to move into some player to plant something. I traditional African American Baptist church that I took over that had been around for a while. And so I actually had the the opposite mentality of what I actually did. I went away to college. I went all the way to Tuskegee, Alabama for Tuskegee University, historically black college in Alabama Yeah, yeah. for the purpose of getting away from Chicago. Like I was not trying to be back in this neighborhood. I mean, neighborhoods like these, as well as those in like rural poverty are always marked by escapism as a mark of success. If you get out of those places and go somewhere else, right. then you're successful. Right. And I was different, right? And so, uh, yeah, I had no I, no desire to be back in Chicago, no desire to be back in the city, in this neighborhood, and definitely no desire to pastor a church. That was not my heart. I got an architecture degree from Tuskegee. What <laughs> 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 was hilarious is my senior year of college, I ended up coming back to Chicago, not because I was like, ooh, Chicago, I want to come back. But actually, my mom got sick. Hmm. And I came back to take care of her. Um, and when I came back here, I came back here to do architecture and take care of my mom. And I had an adopted little brother at the time. And, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm going to take care of her. And I got into the field of architecture and hated it. It was terrible. Like it, it wasn't at all what I dreamed. It wasn't all what I thought. And so I ended up quitting. And so now I wasn't back in Chicago taking care of my mom. I was actually living with my mom and she was taking care of me. So that was like my worst nightmare when all of my success goals were about me moving the economic needle for my family, having upper mobility, leaving this neighborhood. And I was back in the neighborhood living in my mama's house with no job. 
So that's how the kind of the church narrative comes in. I grew up in church, but I was at this point really frustrated with God and all that. And my mom was like, you need to go to church. You need to focus yourself. You need to re- rethink what you're doing and kind of pull the, you know, a church mother move on me. Come on to church with me. And the church she was going to was Canaan. When I go to, I'm pastoring now. So um, crazy, you know, in a nutshell, I started working with youth when I got there because it just seemed like a good fit. And to be honest with you, nobody else wanted the job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so <laughs> I was working with the youth in the church and actually took like it's like a duck to water. Like I was really good at it. I loved it. I worked with kids. I fell in love with just working with young people. And my mom had taught school for almost 40 years. Told myself, I'll never do that after seeing her do it for all those years. But I fell in love with it, man. I went back and got a master's degree in education and started teaching in the public schools here. So I was working with kids, teaching kids, um, got married, had a daughter, moved to another neighborhood, you know, got back on my upper mobile grind. My wife was an accountant. I was teaching now, thinking of being a principal. And, um, it's crazy. One day, the pastor of the church saw what was happening with the youth and saw how amazingly they were growing and things were popping. And he was like, man, you ever consider pastoring? And I was like, no, nah, not really. And um, a couple months later, he called me back to his office and asked that question again uh, without it being a question, but more of an ultimatum. He said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going back to North Carolina where I'm from to pastor. And I want you to take this church. And either you can say yes, and I'll announce mm-hmm. next Sunday that you're the pastor. Or you can say no, and I'm telling these folks the doors of this church are closed and they should find a new church because you didn't accept it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I jokingly say in the book that uh, many are called, some are chosen. And I like to add a third that some are forced. Huh. Me. That's right. Uh, so one week I was working with youth and teaching school, and the next week I was a senior pastor at Cannon Community Church. And that was 12 years ago, and it's been a long interim stint. <laughs> oh, that's rad. That's rad. Yeah, you yeah. came in through the back door, so to speak. I came through the basement door, man. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the best way, though, man, because it's pure. You know, you're, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go in there and feel. That always, to me, feels like the great practical joke that God played on everyone. I, same thing, man. I, you know, you talk about your mom getting sick. My uh, youth pastor's wife got sick, and I stepped in very briefly, or so I thought, for a few months. Well, she she didn't get well for twelve years. Oh and, wow, uh, yeah, wow. man. So it was yeah. like, you know, okay, sucka, gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, and, gotcha. uh, and, and it works out, but yeah, man. So that's, that's gotta be kind of cool. Like being raised in that neighborhood mm-hmm. and going back, you know, I, I always think, um, Paul had an element of that to a certain degree. Yes. He says to the Jews, yes. I became as the Jews and that's missionary language right there because, you know, he, he those were his people. And he says mm-hmm. to the Jews, I be, he had learned something different. He had been away. Um, but he says now to the Jews, I become as a Jew, I become a slave to all so mm-hmm. that I might by, by any means win some, you know? Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, man, like looking at Paul's narrative a lot, like I, I talk about even that passage you mentioned earlier about not rem- uh, making sure you remember the poor I mentioned in the book. But one of the things I marked and really noticed about Paul's life that I had never really noticed until I put it through this motif of, 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 uh, practice and presence was that Paul had an element of privilege in the sense that he had his dual citizenship, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it kind of felt like kind of like my life, right? Like I was from this neighborhood, but I had went away, went to college, you know, had options, you know, didn't have to come back, didn't have to stay here, didn't have to raise my family here, but made a decision um, after God showed me the value 
of that. But I'm also still able to travel and able to get away and see other things and bring that back to my neighborhood. And so we have to be careful that we manage the privilege that we have well in those moments, the privilege to be able to to have other options, but to also choose to be where God has called you to be. So I, I was thankful to have Paul's example in that of, of how he worked that, I think, really well. I mean, even part of that commission that I think Peter and Barnabas and the guys gave him was not to, to not uh, forget the poor is to say, hey, you'll be able to go in and out the temple. You'll be able to you go in and meet with the king and the rulers of Rome. And you're going to be working in some pretty highfalutin spaces. Don't forget why you're going. Mm. You're going because there's people who are not experiencing life in that way and that um, you want to make sure that they understand the wealthy understand that they need Jesus and those who are not wealthy understand that they need Jesus. It's not to be uh, find yourself comfortable in these uh, highfalutin places. So I always try to remind myself that, too. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, if you were talking to, you know, a church planner in their own neighborhood, um, you know, maybe they're, they're already where they're at, you know, yep. um, yep. what, what would you say to them based on kind of what, what you're hitting on in this book? Yeah. So I would say to them that to me, place is the linchpin for understanding your ministry. And what I mean by that is we need to look at our places from a theological lens. This is why I juxtapose this and kind of narrated along Jeremiah 29, that motif of exile. Because exile for, for, for Israel was the last place on earth they would have chosen to be, but they know that they were called to be there because Jeremiah's letter tells them to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, you know, to increase and do not decrease and seek the welfare of that place. And so I'd say to a church planner in your place that that place is actually the key to understanding your ministry. Mm. I think uh, there's a part of my book where I talk about the five W's and living at the center of them. When you're in elementary school, you learn about the five W's for writing, you know, who, what, where, when, and why. But often what we like to do is we like to ask God questions about who and what, you know, God, like, what have you called me to do? And who are the people you've called me to? And then we want to know, and God, when do you want me to start this amazing ministry? And it's just so amazing. I don't know why you would choose someone as wretched as me. And then we, after we get all our answers, we go, and now, God, this is where I would like to go to do that. Um, but I believe if we begin with the question of where, it actually begins to answer all of the other questions. Because it's in that place that you find out who God has called you to. Mm. It's in that geographic location that you find out what it is that God wants you to do when you begin to listen to the people that are there. Just like you told your story about cooking breakfast, you knew what to do because you got connected to the place you were in. Somewhere else that would not have been what to do, but in that place it was. And so I, I try to redefine practicing presence in the sense that God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 7, to seek the peace and welfare of where I've sent you, right? Pray to the Lord on its behalf, and then you'll get exactly what you talked about. Mm. In its welfare, you'll find your welfare, your family will do better, your congregation will do better because it's located in this geographic place. So it's not about growing your church. It's actually about growing the place like flourishing the place that your church is a part of. And then you reap the benefits of the entire place growing. I call it kind of like looking out for your place rather than just your space. Because if you create like a good space, that means that like, oh, maybe like your house is a great place or your church is a great place. But you can't you can't say that for the rest of the space around you. 
But right. when you go for a place, that means that you want a safe place, parks and 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 great food access and and jobs and and safety for everyone. And when you're there, you benefit from that as well. Right. So I would say to the church planner, it's about building your entire community, knowing that your church is a part of that community. That's awesome. So I got a question for you because a lot of times people will, you know, we hear a lot about gentrification. At mm-hmm. one point, and I, you know, I hope I'm not stepping too far into, you know, uh, a realm that, you know, you have a degree in architecture, I got a degree in <laughs> theology and health science. So this may be outside of, you know, we're not sociologists, but at what point does the health and benefit of the neighborhood hit a healthy peak versus when it tips over to gentrification? Yeah, no, it's actually a great question. So I have, I did go to seminary and I got my master of divinity in Christian community development. What? So, okay. Yes. I'm asking the right guy, the right question. Yeah. For so we actually, we're actually dealing with some really sociological. Hey, you market. got a rabbit. I got a train. Sorry. <laughs> so you're going to hear that. Okay. He's so done. Good. So good. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> uh, um, the truth of the matter is, is um, the tipping point, when you've reached a tipping point, you've actually gone too far and probably a point of no return. What you want to do is be thinking about what are the markers of what keeps gentrification away. And what I kind of narrated in the book is, is that when it's resident located and resident led, it actually pushes against uh, what actually mm. makes gentrification work. Because what makes That's gentrification amazing, work is that the local residents have to lose hope. Yeah. They have to feel that there's nothing about the yes. place that they would want to hold on to wow. so that it can be pushed to the point of being redeveloped. So what we're saying is the more we actually go against hopelessness in a community and push people to begin to realize the inherent power they have yeah. to hold on and transform their own communities. Right. When they begin to when 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 local businesses are opened by local residents and they begin to have the businesses in the neighborhood that they would want to have mm. when um, when it's the local churches and organizations that are partnering with local schools for the purpose of seeing them flourish and do better versus waiting on the government to come and fix it. Yeah. Um, actually fights against those markers. Now, at the same time, I'm not saying that we let our local officials off the hook. That's not what I mean. We actually have to hold them accountable to joining with us mm. in the work of transforming our communities because they do have a responsibility. So what I say is, you know, I tell a few stories in the book about some of that work that's happened in our neighborhood where the local church has partnered with local community organizations and resident associations and elected officials to see real transformation happen, uh, especially around um, like holistic health in the neighborhood yeah around, uh, food access and and um and opportunities around uh health care and access we've worked together to bring things into our neighborhood like uh starting our own neighborhood food cooperative where we didn't have any really healthy grocery stores in our neighborhood so we started bringing food to the church uh buying it from local growers and things of that nature so that people would have access without going miles away uh, but that was something that the church and the neighborhood partnered to do together. That's rad. You know, led us to starting our own cafe in a neighborhood called the Kusanya Cafe. We had no sit-down restaurants in one of the largest neighborhoods in Chicago. Wow. And the, the residents said, no, this is something that we can do together. And so we started pooling all our resources together financially. I'm an architect. I was able to do drawings. We had contractors what? here. Able, and we were able to put all of our energy together, not just as the church, but as the community. The community, yeah. Together, right? 
And here's what I always say. I mean, it goes even bigger. We got a Whole Foods open in our neighborhood a year and a half ago that came from pressure from the neighborhood, holding our elected officials and the local grocery store chain, um, Whole Foods, accountable for what they had not done in our neighborhood. Right. So I say um, the truth of the matter is none of that stuff happened because of the church. Right. It's not. No one will say, oh, well, good. Canaan was there. So now we got a Whole Foods. But they also cannot say that any of it happened without the church. Right. And that's the key to communal growth is that um, while we are not the the end all be all and the reason things are changing, nothing changes without our participation, which shows people that God is concerned about their holistic selves, not just their disembodied souls someday, yep. some distant place. So, Which is mission 101, right? Yes. You, you, yes. And yet the church still hasn't got it when it comes to home soil. So, we do it. Oh, yeah. you know, Pastor Jay, I love this man. I could, I could talk to you for another hour, man. That <laughs> what you said about, you know, just that it's like a never, I mean, I legitimately, they say that the key to a, a great interview is just being naturally curious. Mm. And that was a question I thought, man, maybe I'm setting him up. He's not going to be prepared to answer this. But mm. the fact that that tied back into your central premise, doing yes. with and coming alongside, like you blew my mind right there. And I'm, no, I'm going to have to go away and chew on that and mm. think about that. That needs to get deep inside my soul because I have a feeling I'm going to need that coming yeah, along amen. in the future. Amen. So, brother, I yeah. appreciate it. Um, guys, we are running out of time. But my guest today has been Jonathan Brooks, Pastor Jay. You can look for his book. Uh, his book will not be under Pastor Jay. It will be under Jonathan Brooks. And it's right. Church Forsaken Practicing presence in neglected neighborhoods. And it's uh, just come out by Ivy Press and um, has an amazing uh, <laughs> cover art on it. So you'll see it's a white door with a gate over it, like a security gate, and there's a black cross on the door. So pretty rock and roll there. So, um, you know, one question we like to ask each time, it, it, it always throws our, our guests off a bit. It's a fight question, but you okay. and I had a, an unusual experience on here today, and that was that we had a rabbit drinking water. So normally I'll pitch you against someone else in your field, another <laughs> author that writes stuff like you. But I'm going to ask, if you were a rabbit mm. and you had to square off against your rabbit, who would win in a fist fight? Mm. I'm going to tell you, Bailey, my rabbit is pretty feisty. Um, as you can tell, she's lazy right now laying over there. I think she heard me talking about it. But um, <laughs> I probably hydrated too. She's ready. She's a really big rabbit, too. Like, she's not a little small rabbit. She's been around the block a while. So, uh, Bailey might give me some go. You know, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, 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 I believe I might it, have man. To Bailey. Bailey's like, oh, yeah? You going to do a podcast? I'm going to show you who's boss. Click, 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 click. There it went. That's a great question. <laughs> All right. Well, it's the first time I had to I had to put that one to use. I mean, when you have an experience like that, a rabbit drinking on the podcast, you got to make it work. You know what I mean? So <laughs> anyways, Pastor Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure. Again, Bless guys, you, one more time, Church Forsaken, Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods. Definitely go pick this thing up. It's got yeah. you just hearing a taste of what Pastor Jay's uh, laying down. He, he taught this old dog some new tricks. So Appreciate uh, it. Great hey, to, yeah. just want to let everybody know uh, where to find me. It's real easy. Um, if you're on social media, it's at Pastor Jay. P-A-S-T-A-H-J. You can also go to PastorJ.com. Um, and uh, 
and uh, connect with me there. Right. I um, appreciate being on uh, the Hardcore Church Planting Podcast. Absolutely. And remember, guys, that's P A S T A, like pasta, but with an H. Pasta yeah. J. That's it. That's it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, guys, thanks for listening today. By all means, share this. Uh, review us. Let people know that we're alive. And uh, with that, guys, Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to our number one sponsor. They've been with us for years. I know them personally. Uh, the founder is Josh Henry. He is an ex-church planner. If you wonder why we have so much fun with SimplifyChurch.com's uh, ads, it's simply because we love these guys. We believe in them. I have used them. Gosh, as a church planner, I found them and have been using them for donkey's years. And if you don't know, that means a really long time. So head on over to SimplifyChurch.com. They're going to help you do all the stuff that you need to do, but nobody taught you to do in seminary. Things like bookkeeping, uh, payroll, um, you know, uh, dealing with the IRS, making sure you're compliant, sending end of year uh, donor receipts. If you haven't done that yet, tis the season. Uh, you have until the end of January to get those out to your people. So make sure you head on over to SimplifyChurch.com and let them simplify your church. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.